Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me in New Life Brisbane. It's an honor to be here. Uh, who's sweating with me? Yeah, okay, we're all, we're all joining that. Um, bear with me, this is, this is service number three. Um, and you'll hear pretty soon, I've got an accent. I grew up in Switzerland, my mom's Italian, I'm married to Olivia who is, grew up in England, has got Irish and American background, so my accent is all over the place. And uh, forgive me if, if Swiss German starts to pop up throughout the service. But um, it's an incredible privilege to be here. It's a privilege to work uh, at Open Doors and share the stories of the persecuted church. And today, my hope is that I can give you a bit of an insight into the lives of the people that we serve at Open Doors. As you heard, we're an organization that exists to help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And we want to do that by going to the most difficult places first. We want to make sure that where Christians are suffering, they have the resource to continue being the hands and feet of Jesus in their communities. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we have people here in Australia that are sharing the story of the persecuted church so that we can be strengthened in our faith, so that we can be encouraged to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Because you see, when I first heard of Open Doors, I was 15 years old, back in Switzerland, sitting in a youth camp service, sitting on the floor, probably thinking about other things. And we had someone share from Open Doors. And I remember distinctly hearing stories of people, kids that were younger than me at the time, 13, 14 years old, who had lost everything. And with everything, I mean literally everything. They, they lost their parents, they weren't able to go to school, they had left, lost their home because of their faith. And they had made these statements, I don't remember exactly what they said, but meaning that they're gonna continue worshiping God, that they gladly are gonna continue following Jesus. And I remember sitting in my setting in Switzerland, similar to Australia, it's an easy place to be a Christian and thinking to myself, what would I do? What would my faith look like if I were to be challenged like that? And ever since, the persecuted church has served like a mentor to me in my spiritual walk, reminding me that I wanna know Jesus so deeply for me personally, that no matter what happens in my life, I'm gonna continue serving him, following him gladly, and telling the people around me what he's done in my life and in theirs. And so as Open Doors, as a ministry, as I said, we're existing to, to educate the Western church. And there's something we release every year. It's called the World Watch List. We rank the 50 most dangerous countries. And next week, if you've got some time, have a look at it on our website. It talks about each country of the 50 most dangerous ones and what persecution looks like, what we can be praying for so that you actually know when you're praying for the persecuted church, what's going on in Nigeria? How can you be praying for the church in Syria? It's an incredibly helpful tool, and in the partnership with New Life, we've had the privilege of partnering with our work in North Korea, which is the most dangerous place to be a Christian in for the last two decades. For 20 consecutive years, North Korea was on the top of the list. This year, though, for the first time ever, Afghanistan has become the most dangerous country to be a Christian in. I'm sure you would have seen the news, people literally hanging off planes trying to escape the nation. See, it's almost impossible to live a public Christian life. It's actually impossible to live a public Christian life in the country of Afghanistan. Leaving Islam is considered shameful, and believers may be disowned or killed by their own family or clan if they're found out to be Christians. 
The Taliban's takeover increased the persecution of Christians, and many were forced to flee. But Saad and Fatima are two secret believers that have chosen to remain in Afghanistan. They've chosen to stay because they grew up there and they've got a big passion for the people of Afghanistan. Now, it was the night of the takeover, and I remember sitting in uh, my apartment in Sydney, talking to my wife, and just struggling with this reality. And similarly, right now, with the weight of the pain of the world, we're living in a beautiful country. We've really got everything we need. And so sitting in this reality that I knew the next day I'd wake up and our lives would be very normal. We're in lockdown, so we were a bit restricted, but I knew that my wife's life would be completely normal, which is the complete opposite in the country of Afghanistan. Everything was about to change, especially for women. So that night, Fatima gave birth to a baby girl. And I just cannot imagine that feeling of joy and, and desperation at the same time, of this new gift of life, but also the fear and the doubt of what the future of this little girl's life will look like. Saad and Fatima told us that it's not an option to follow Jesus in public, as I said, but together they will continue to follow Jesus despite the danger. They plan to help feed the hungry, clothe the needy, and continue to share the gospel no matter the cost. I do not know where to begin, Saad said, but I will begin by encouraging my wife that there is hope for our daughter. It will not be easy, but we do this because we believe Jesus is alive. We do this because we believe Jesus is alive. It's this deep understanding that there's nothing too big or too difficult for Jesus. That with Jesus by their side, they're able to stay in the most dangerous place on the planet to be a Christian and to continue to be in his hands and feet in their community. The church in Afghanistan needs our prayer, it needs our support. But at the same time, it's countries like Colombia that actually experience persecution. If you're anything like me, I, was, I just always assumed countries like Colombia or Mexico, they're Christian, they're Catholic countries. But there's actually a lot of persecution going on towards pastors specifically. Because you see gang-ruled or, or run neighborhoods and villages. If the pastors are standing up against what the gang wants to do, they're literally removed from their path. They're killed. And so I want to show you, introduce you to Daniela. Her story will be in a video that we're about to watch, and it's heartbreaking, but turn, to, turn your eyes to the screen. Papá. 
Porque él llora y dice, yo no quiero que a ustedes les pase algo porque yo me quedaría solito, me dice él. En cambio la niña, ella llora, pero muy poquito expresa lo que siente. Él llora y me dice, lo extraño mucho. No, estaba un día caluroso caluroso como siempre y el pueblo ya estaba un poquito sola a las calles porque ya habían conflictos entre bandas entonces muchos habían ido y estaban las calles un poco solas en la casa todo normal los niños jugando nosotros limpiando el pollo y mi esposo sentado viendo televisión todo normal sala mirando el noticiero. que fuera una gran persona y que siguiera pues en los caminos de Dios y eso yo creo. Que sean fuertes y que sean valientes y que sigan confiando en el Señor. Every time I watch this video, and I've watched it a couple of times, I wonder what my response would have been. I wonder what my response would be if I had lost my parent. But it's stories like these, stories like Daniela's, who are teaching me that my faith in Jesus, in Jesus isn't sustainable if it's based on his provision of safety. It shouldn't be based on how Jesus can make my life easier or less painful, but rather on the assurance that in the suffering and in the pain, In the trials that life throws at me, Jesus will be right beside me. 
He promised to never leave or forsake us. He didn't promise that we won't be hurt or that life won't be difficult once we make a decision to follow him. He promised that he is and will be with us for the rest of time. Emmanuel, God with us. And for that, he deserves all our praise through the darkest of times. Because when even then, we can know that we're not alone. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees the pain of Daniela. She sees your pain. He sees your pain. And has made a commitment to walk through the pain with you. We believe in a God that has decided he's not too big to walk this earth in human form. We believe and serve a God who's died a death on the cross, has suffered human death, so that he's able to relate with us when we're going through pain. God's heart is breaking for these people, and it's their understanding that he's right there with them that carries them through. And I believe it's such a great reminder for us in our difficulties that God isn't distant, that God isn't far, but he's right in the pain in the middle of it. And he's offering his Holy Spirit to comfort us and to guide us through the pain. Let me introduce you to Helen. She's a woman who's deeply impacted my faith, my relationship with Jesus. I had the privilege of meeting her two years ago on, on a Zoom call. She grew up in Eritrea, and the reality in Eritrea is that you can be a Christian, but you're not allowed to evangelize. When Helen became a Christian, she joined the church that was big on worship. And so she was part of the worship team that was writing new songs. And when they finished the new songs, and I'm imagining a similar church to this, actually. She'd stand on the footsteps, and she was singing the new songs out for everyone to hear. And I can imagine it was only a couple of moments later where the authorities came and grabbed her and imprisoned her. Now, different to our understanding of what a prison would look like, she was put in a shipping container in the middle of the desert. She said in the night, it would get so cold that she'd be afraid that she would freeze to death. During the day, the walls of the shipping container would get so hot that she'd burn her skin when she touched it. There's lots of beating. She's constantly beaten. And there's one time, one scenario that she described where she had found a little piece of paper and a pen, and she started writing encouraging letters to fellow inmates. She, put, she quoted scriptures in those letters. When the guards found out, they came finding Helen. They dragged her out into the courtyard, and they said, where's your Bible, Helen? Helen looked at them and said, oh, I don't have one. They said, you, you've memorized it. It's in your head, isn't it? She nodded. She said, yes, it is. They said, well, we'll have to beat it out of you then. They started beating her onto the head to get the Bible out of her head. Now what happens next is what moves me the most, and it's Helen in the middle of the beating looks up into the guard's eyes, and she tells him, I do not hate you, because I understand you're carrying out an order. But I need you to understand I'm carrying out an order as well. And that is not to deny my faith in Jesus. So carry on. So carry on. She then gets thrown into the shipping container and there, without being able to move, she lays on the floor for a couple of days. In that moment, she wrote a worship song. 
And she started singing it on the bottom of that shipping container, praising Jesus for all that he's done and for the fact that he's with her in that moment. See, a part of the story that Helen only told us at the end of the call was that she had an eight-year-old daughter at home waiting for her. She was in prison for two and a half years. And every time, guards would try and manipulate her, and they said, if you sign this piece of paper, and you say you will never share Jesus again, you can be free. But Helen, every time, responded, she won't be able to do that. And she responded with this sentence. You see, the name of Jesus is medicine, and the world desperately needs it. What a, what a beautiful summary of the gospel of Jesus, the God we serve. His name, Jesus, is medicine, and the world desperately needs it. And it's this deep understanding, this conviction that Jesus is everything, that he deserves all of our praise, that runs deep in the persecuted church. And story after story after story, these people are able to continue praising God in the most darkest of times. And I believe it's that. It's one of the most crucial lessons we can learn from them. And we might not go through similar things, but we have our own struggles. We have our own pains. And if we can learn what it means to walk through that with God on our side, understanding that Jesus is close in those moments, I believe we can have a greater impact in the people in our lives that watch us, watch us closely. See, it's people like Saad and Fatima, Daniela and Helen that we're able to come alongside to today, that we're able to pray for and that we're able to financially support, making sure that they get the trauma care that they so desperately need, that they get the resources and emergency relief so that they can continue being the hands and feet of Jesus in the most difficult places in the world. We're going to look at it later, but that's what you have the little handout for, so have a look at that. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, hey, when's this guy going to talk about the Bible? And I promise we're getting right to it. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures. And the first one is in Acts 16. I believe you went through the book of Acts, and so I'm sure you remember the story when Paul and Silas are walking through the city of Philippi. They're beaten and put in prison, and the reason for it is that they healed a woman that was possessed uh, by an evil spirit. Now, if you're anything like me, and uh, maybe you're not, but I have not walked the streets and healed a woman from an evil spirit before. Now, if I would have, and I would be beaten and put in prison for it, me and God would, on a, would be on a break for a few days, okay? Maybe a week. Like, I would have serious issues. Because I'm like, I'm doing your work, and now I'm being punished for it. But this is their response. In verse 25, we read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's this beautiful piece that we need to understand when we live our lives as Christians, people are watching, if they tell you or not. And so who and what you run to in times of troubles, in, in times of need, matters, because people are watching. The other prisoners were listening to them. I'm sure they had similar thoughts like me. Guys, you just put in prison for the God you serve, and where is he now? Like, what, what are you doing? And then 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It wasn't just Paul's and Silas's chains that came loose. Everyone came loose. 
It's this beautiful impact that the church, I believe, we're called to be in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our families. If we praise God, if we proclaim his name, it will have an impact on the people around us, if they want it or not. I wanted to read these, this passage for two reasons. One, it's actually the one that has encouraged Helen in that shipping container. She remembered the story of Paul and Silas and knew that if they went through, Jesus is with me and I can make it through. She also said that she felt the prayers of the global church in those needing times. What a beautiful picture that when we pray, the persecuted church feels the strength of the Holy Spirit and the global church united. And the second reason, just quickly, is because the persecuted church has helped me wrestle with the Bible in a different way. I used to read those passages, those stories, and just think they're incredible stories, but are they really true? Like, I'm, I'm not sure. Paul being stoned almost to death for preaching the gospel, getting up and walking back in and continuing, like, this must be, this must be made up. But then reading this story and hearing Helen's story and Daniela's story, and Fatima and Saad are continuing to follow Jesus in the most darkest times, helps me see this is true. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago, it's happening today. Over 360 million Christians are experiencing persecution for their faith, and they're choosing to continue to praise God in the midst of it. In 1 Corinthians, um, sorry, in Corinthians 1, 26, 27, Paul writes this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. We are part of the body of Christ around the world. This is New Life family and it's beautiful. I'm, I'm loving it the longer I spend time with you, but this is, a bigger part, this is a bigger family that we're a part of. And lots of parts of that body are hurting. And so we have a responsibility as the church to pray and to financially support our brothers and sisters around the world so that they can continue being the hands and feet of Jesus and inspire us to do the same in our neighborhoods. Can I say this? If the church doesn't support the church, who will? Who's going to support the persecuted church if not the church itself? And so to close, I want to read a letter from a pastor who wrote, that, who wrote this letter to his wife while he was in prison. God, by his holy will, has prolonged my prison sentence to five years and four months. I very much long for the day that I will be reunited with you, my dear wife, our children, and God's people in the church. My dear, listen to me, not only as a wife, but also as a Christian woman who has come to understand who God is and how deep and mysterious his ways are. Yes, I love you. I love our children, and I would love to be free in order to serve God. But in here, God has made me not only a sufferer for his name's sake in prison for, of this world over which Christ has won the victory, but also a prisoner of his indescribable love and grace. I'm testing and experiencing the love and care of our Lord every day. When they first brought me to this prison, I had thoughts that were contrary to what the Bible says. I thought the devil had prevailed over the church and over me. I thought the work of the gospel was over but it did not take one day for the Lord to show me that he is a sovereign God and that he is in control of all things, even here in prison. The moment I entered my cell, one of the prisoners called me and said, Pastor, come over here. Everyone in this cell is unsaved. You are very much needed here. So on the same day I was put in prison, I carried on my spiritual work. 
My dear, the longer I stay here, the more I love my Savior and tell the people here about His goodness. His grace is enabling me to overcome the coldness and the longing that I feel for you and for our children. Sometimes I ask myself, am I out of mind? Am I a fool? Well, isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? Whether I am sound of mind or out of my mind, I'm Christ's. My most respected wife, I love you more than I can say. Please help the children understand that I'm here as a prisoner of Christ for the greater cause of the gospel. Pray with me as we close. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the privilege it is to gather as your people, to worship you. And Lord, as we hear the stories of the global church, of the persecuted part of the body, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them right now, that they would feel our prayers, that they would know that there is a church in Australia remembering them, praying for them, and standing with them. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom in, in how they can continue to share the good news and be your hands and feet in their communities. Lord, I pray that as we hear their stories that we're impacted to a level of running towards you, wanting to know you more deeply and more closely for our lives so that we can share you and the people around us with our families and neighborhoods. Lord, I pray that you'd stir our hearts that we'd be hungry for more, that we'd be hungry for a deeper relationship with you. And I pray that you let us leave here today inspired and encouraged that your work is moving forward, that the church at large is growing and it's beautiful. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.